Good morning. Morning, Jeff. <laughs> it's good to be here. God is good. I have to, I will confess, uh, it, I'm, for a selfish reason, I'm glad to preach because I get to take this thing off. It was really driving me crazy this morning. So <laughs> it's kind of a relief. Maybe that's kind of selfish, but I'm so grateful. <clears throat> well, Thanks for that, uh, well, for the whole morning, everybody. Um, the children's lesson really just ties right in, you know. I, I, it's just such a joy when you sit back, and especially for some of us that have to prepare something, and you see what another brother prepared, and you had no communication. You didn't know you know, what this brother was going to share on. And you look, you say, wow, that just ties right in. And you have to step back and say, God, you, you know how to, how to put a church service together. And it's just beautiful when that happens. Um, he's just the master. He's the master musician and knows just how to play that cello and that violin and just be able to put it all together and make beautiful music. It's beautiful music to his ears. So... <clears throat> Anyway, I'm just uh, very encouraged and blessed. Okay, well, last time I shared. What did I share on last time? I always get, I always feel bad when people say, "What did I share on last time?" I don't know. Thank you. How many of you forgot? Oh. It almost blesses me to see that because I think, oh, good, I'm not the only one that <laughs> forgets. So, bless you all. Uh, remember, the Lord put the 23rd Psalm on my heart, and I shared a series of messages on that Psalm out of this book uh, called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. This man, uh, Philip Keller, uh, was a scientist, a shepherd, a lay pastor. And uh, it's, it's a compilation of his experiences as a shepherd. He worked with sheep and then overlapping that experience with Psalm 23. And uh, it's, it's really encouraging and kind of a, amazing. A lot of similarities, a lot to glean from. Um, you know, God knew what he was doing when he put his word together. And how it would apply to our lives in 2020. Um, He's just amazing. One of the things that came to my mind this morning as kind of an introduction, you know, the the psalm starts off, the Lord is my shepherd. And I think it's a good thing to look at a verse in its entirety in different ways. You could say, the Lord, the Lord is my shepherd. Amen. You could look at it this way. You could say, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And I hope you can say that. If you can't, 
You can. You can this morning. But I hope you can all say that. That the Lord is my shepherd. I am my beloved's and he is mine. He, he brought me to his banqueting table. His banner over me is love. <clears throat> I hope you can say that. He is the good shepherd, as we read about there in John chapter 10. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. And the good shepherd knows his sheep and am known of mine, it says there. And remember, Paul's passion, the Apostle Paul's passion, Philippians uh, chapter 3 there, that I may know him. And the uh, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed, being made conformable unto his death, that I may know him. That's my my goal in life is just to know God. And thank God, as we read about in Revelation 12 here, they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. By the blood of the Lamb, we can get cleansed. We can get our consciences cleared because Jesus paid the price. And the devil can accuse and can accuse and can accuse and can accuse and call you rotten and no good and say, you can agree with him. I would agree with him. You're right. But I thank God for my lovely Savior's blood. It washes me from my filth. And it washes it all. All of it. Thank God. And because of that, we can know him. The door is open for communion with your Savior, with the God of heaven, with that one riding on that, on that horse, King of kings, Lord of lords. That one. That's the one that you can know. And as I shared before, I tell you, as, as parents, that's, what, that's our desire for you. We live in very troubling times where the deception is incredible out there. And you're only going to make it through by staying close by His side, knowing Him, walking with Him, fellowshipping with Him. Um, but thank God, His grace is sufficient. His Word is sufficient. His power, His love is, is sufficient to carry anybody through the darkest of times. <clears throat> To where there's, there's no excuse for any of us. But that's our heart's desire. That you may know Him. That we may know Him. That you can say, The Lord is my shepherd. And at the same time, The Lord is my shepherd. Hallelujah. He's my shepherd. <clears throat> Grateful for that. Alright, the next part of that verse. Verse 1. And it, you might be saying, man, brother, if we're going to go half a verse at a time, we're going to be here for all next year. Yeah, it might take us that long. That's okay. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Let me read a little bit to you here. We can find it. There it is. 
I shall not want. What a proud, positive, bold statement to make. Obviously, this is the statement of a sheep utterly satisfied with its owner, perfectly content with its lot in life. Since the Lord is my shepherd, then I shall not want. Actually, the word want as used here has a broader meaning than might be at first imagined. No doubt the main concept is that of not lacking, not deficient in proper care management or husbandry. But a second emphasis is the idea of being utterly contented in the good shepherd's care and consequently not craving or desiring anything more. Let me read that again. It's the idea of being utterly contented in the good shepherd's care and consequently not craving or desiring anything more. We heard a message here a while back on desiring God and Him alone. Amen. This may seem a strange statement for a man like David to have made. David wrote the 23rd Psalm. might be a strange statement for him to make if we think in terms only of physical or material needs. After all, he had been hounded and harried repeatedly by the forces of his enemy Saul, as well as those of his own estranged son Absalom. He was obviously a man who had known intense privation, deep personal poverty, acute hardship, and anguish of spirit. Therefore, it is absurd to assert on the basis of this statement that the child of God, the sheep in the shepherd's care, will never experience lack or need. I think that's true. Remember, it was David that wrote the 23rd Psalm. Remember what he went through. In the anguish, he was chased down by King Saul. <clears throat> Two times, though, he had the chance to kill him. Wouldn't do it. But he was chased and chased and chased and chased. Finally to the point at one time he said, What is my sin? What have I done to deserve this? His conscience was clear. <clears throat> Yet, he basically had the right to say that. What, what have I done that the king hates me so much? It wasn't me that was singing. It was the people that were singing. David slew his, what was it, ten thousands and Saul his thousands, and then Saul got jealous. Oh, he's stealing my show. So again, he makes a good point. So that phrase, I shall not want, don't think that that means, okay, life's a cakewalk. The Lord is my shepherd. Life's a cakewalk. Well, no. No. That's not what it means. The writer of that very song knew that's not what it meant. <clears throat> it is imperative to keep a balanced view of the Christian life. To do this, it is well to consider the careers of men like Elijah, John the Baptist, our Lord himself or even modern men of faith such as Livingstone, to realize that all of them experienced great personal privation and adversity. And that's very true. John the Baptist, uh, greatest man born of women, Jesus said, preached 
for a short time, then got thrown in prison, then got beheaded. Well, that's a cakewalk, isn't it? Yeah. But yet he was a great man, still used by God 2,000 years later. He was among us. The great shepherd himself warned his disciples before his departure for glory that in this world he shall have tribulation. In this world he shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You will have tribulation in this world. And you read in Acts, it's through tribulation we enter into the kingdom of God. It's not through uh, an easy life where everything's rosy all the time. That's not it. It wasn't that way for Jesus. He came, the King of Kings, gloriously seated upon His throne, came to this earth. Humbled Himself to become a, a man. To walk through a human life on this sin-stained earth and keep himself totally pure through the whole thing. That doesn't sound like a cakewalk. Okay. Based on the teachings of the Bible, we can only conclude that David was not referring to material or physical poverty When he made the statement, I shall not want. For this very reason, the Christian has to take a long, hard look at life. He has to recognize that as with many of God's choice people before him, he may be called to experience lack of wealth or material benefits. He has to see his sojourn upon the planet as a brief interlude during which there may uh, well be some privation in a physical sense, yet amidst Uh, Yet uh, yet amid such hardship, he can still boast, I shall not want, I shall not lack the expert care and management of my master. That's where the real test of faith comes in. When things start to go wrong, maybe when you lose a job, or you lose a deal, or you lose your health, or you lose on this earth, you lose your reputation. And still be able to say, no, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. It's okay. I trust Him. I don't understand. But I trust Him. Ultimate test of faith. When all is said and done, the welfare of any flock is entirely dependent upon the management afforded them by their owner. The tenant sheepman on the farm next to my first ranch was the most indifferent manager I had ever met. He was not concerned about the condition of his sheep. His land was neglected. He gave little or no time to his flock, letting them pretty well forage for themselves as best they could both summer and winter. They fell prey to dogs, cougars, and rustlers. Every year, these poor creatures were forced to gnaw away at bare brown fields and impoverished pastures. Every winter, there was a shortage of nourishing hay and wholesome grain to feed the hungry ewes. Shelter to safeguard and protect the suffering sheep from storms and blizzards was scanty and inadequate. They had only polluted, muddy water to drink. There had been a lack of salt 
and other trace minerals needed to offset their sickly pastures. In their thin, weak, diseased condition, these poor sheep were a pathetic sight. In my mind's eye, I can still see them standing at the fence, huddled sadly in little knots, staring wistfully through the wires at the rich pastures on the other side. To all their distress, the heartless, selfish owner seemed utterly callous and indifferent. He simply did not care. What does that remind you of? Who does that sound like? What kind of a taskmaster does that sound like? That sounds like the devil to me. And yet people get convinced that this is the way to go. Where there's poverty. Where there's want. Where you will want. But through his deceptive devices, he convinces people. Yet, but this is the way. Oh, oh, I'll make all kinds of promises to you. I read earlier this year about one famous uh, rapper, I guess. I've never listened to any of his stuff. Jay-Z. I read an article about him that he outwardly admitted that he is a Satan worshiper. And that he made a deal with the devil. He said, the devil promised me I would have riches and be wealthy. And I am. I thought, well... There's something that he didn't tell you. I also read some article somewhere that, that this is the guy that the football league has put in charge of the, the Super Bowl halftime show. So what does that tell you about the Super Bowl halftime show? Who's it going to glorify? I remember years ago, there was a pretty, I mean, I haven't watched, praise God, I haven't watched a Super Bowl in 20 years. And I don't think I've missed a thing. But I remember some, you know, some years after I quit watching, there was some halftime show that I heard about. I didn't see it, praise the Lord. It was pretty bad. And there was beginning to be an outcry of some Christians saying, well, you know what, I think it's time to be done with the Super Bowl. And I was thinking, amen. Let's wake up. We really... Is that what we want? I thought the Lord was our shepherd. And we're not going to want. And we'll get into that, that type of a want in a few minutes here. But... <clears throat> just kind of reminds me of that. But just reading this example of this, this, this shepherd that neglected the sheep and seeing these sheep longingly at the, at the fence, looking on the other side of the fence at, at the neighbor's flock and the good green pasture that they got. Think, oh man, I'd like to be over there. Can't blame them. I have become increasingly aware of one thing. It is the boss, the manager, the master in people's lives who makes the difference in their destiny. And again, it's not that life's all that great. There's actually a beautiful testimony. When you can see the joy of the Lord on someone's face, 
and a faith that stays strong and secure in the midst of hardship. A test of faith. Knowing, no, the Lord is my shepherd. I still won't want. I still shall not want. doesn't matter what's happening to me. The Lord is still my shepherd. Nobody can take me away from my shepherd. It's a great precious promise that I have. It's a beautiful testimony in the midst of all that. And I know some people that have gone through some hard, hard, hard things. I know a man. Oh, man. Lost his wife and his family. <clears throat> he still marched still over the last 25 years that man's been through emotional hell still going forward wow that is a testimony now that's not fun. And we don't wish that for anybody. And no, that's not God's will that a family be torn apart and children get lost. And they end up in that pasture over there that has nothing. That's not God's will. But still, what a testimony of God's grace that this man would continue to serve and love his Savior and love his, his shepherd. What a testimony. Some of you know who he is. <clears throat> it is indeed a delight to visit some of these humble homes where men and women are rich in spirit, generous in heart, and large of soul. They radiate a serene confidence and a quiet joy that surmounts all the tragedies of their time. They are under God's care and they know it. They have entrusted themselves to Christ's control and found contentment. Here's a big statement. Contentment should be the hallmark of a man or woman who has put his or her affairs in the hands of God, in the hands of the shepherd. Big, big testimony. Are we content? Are you content with where you are? I've determined that a lot of root issues behind a multitude of sin problems come from a lack of gratitude and contentment with where a person is. A person can have a problem with anger and we can think he needs anger management. And you can find an underlying root of bitterness but then underneath that, even more so, is an underlying root of ungratefulness, ungratefulness to God and being discontent. Just wanting life to be better, according to his definition of what's better. Contentment is so critical in your life to embrace. <clears throat> Uh, flip over to 1 Timothy, if you would. I'm going to read a little passage of Scripture here. 1 Timothy chapter 6. 
I'm sure you all know this passage. 1 Timothy chapter 6, speaking of contentment. I've got probably two little headers underneath the, the main portion of this message. First one is contentment. I'll start at verse 3 of 1 Timothy chapter 6. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof come, cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil. I'll stop right there. Godliness with contentment, he says, is great gain. We talked about that word great a little earlier. It just now struck me. Oh, here we, we heard that earlier today. Great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Great gain in your faith. Great gain in Christ. And that's all that matters. Is that we gain. We grow in Him. And contentment is is critical and it's key. And I, I looked at this. And he said, having food and raiment. I, I didn't look up that word raiment. Maybe that word raiment does mean a roof overhead. I don't know. I think no. I, I looked. I did look. It says apparel. Paul. He didn't. He wasn't even asking for a roof over his head. Just give me food and clothing. I'm content. My heart, my flesh would say, well, can I, can I have at least a roof too? But he didn't even mention that. I thought, wow, that's contentment. And of course, you read the book of Acts, you read the life of Paul, you'll see. He didn't have a cake walk. If the prosperity gospel is real, then Paul didn't have much faith, did he? You could not conclude that because he did not have a cakewalk of a life. In fact, the day he got born again, and he spoke to, I think it was Ananias, the man that ministered to him, he told him, I must show Paul or Saul the things he must suffer. But right from the start, I think Paul must have known life's not going to be easy for me. But then again, what a testimony of his life that he stayed true, clear to the end. Right at the very end of the book of Acts, you read what he was doing. He was still preaching the gospel while he was in prison in Rome there. He had a pretty loose prison there and people could come and go. And he preached and he preached and he preached. That's all he did. When it got to political leaders, he preached. <clears throat> Mm. 
Godliness with contempt is great gain. We brought nothing into this world. It is certain we can carry nothing out. You all heard the story that the rich man that died and the people asked, how much did he leave? And they said, all of it. It doesn't matter how much it was. He left it all. He didn't take anything with him. <clears throat> Having food and raiment, let us there be with, let us therewith be content. They that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. The love of money is the root of all evil. The love of money. I thought about that. You know, it's, it's, it's money that gives people the ability to try and fulfill the lusts of their flesh and the lusts of their eyes and the pride of life. And so if that's what you're looking for to do is to fulfill those lusts, you're going to look to find ways to get money to try and do that very thing. It kind of makes sense to me if you think it through a little bit there. Contentment. Godliness with contentment is a great gain. So being content. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I am completely satisfied with his management of my life. Above all, he is very jealous of his name and high reputation as the good shepherd. He is the owner who delights in his flock. For him, there is no greater reward, no deeper satisfaction than that of seeing his sheep contented, well fed, safe and flourishing under his care. This, indeed, is his very life. He gives all he has to it. He literally lays himself out for those who are his. So very true. He will go to no end of trouble and labor to supply them with the finest grazing, the richest pasturage, ample winter feed, and clean water. He will spare himself no pains to provide shelter from storms, protection from ruthless enemies, and the diseases and parasites which sheep are so susceptible. Now again, don't misinterpret that. He knows how to keep good care. Even in the midst of all those things. But in taking care of the parasites and the, and the enemies and watching, you know, keeping them safe in the storms, it's basically keeping you close by His side no matter what you go through in life and keeping you safe from being snatched away from the enemy. But being that guide out in front of you, you have it right here. We need to drink this and eat this like our very lives, lives depend on it because they do. <clears throat> in an instant, he can tell if they can. Yeah, never mind. Sorry. This is a sublime picture of the care given to those whose lives are under Christ's control. He knows all about their lives from morning to night. Blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us with benefits. Even the God of our salvation. He that keepeth thee will not slumber or sleep. Now, how does this... What are some more applications of this for us today right now? Well, I'll tell you what it is for me. And I kind of confess this. Jeff, we met this past week we were talking about this some and just the trials and struggles that's going on in our political world right now and uh, you know it, it's it's possible that we could get a president who 
a lot of us sincerely feel like it wasn't right. I, I don't know what's going to happen. <clears throat> and I confess to you, that's kind of a stretch for me. It's like, you know, I, I'm like everybody else. You like to see, see a sense of justice. And we don't see that much. If you read the news just a little bit, there's so much corruption at the top that gets totally unchecked. And people get away with it. It's hard sometimes to step back and say, Lord, I've got to trust you and, and know that they won't get away with it. But then the Lord checks my heart and reminds me over and over and over and over again. And he tells me, well, what I would really like to do with these people that you are struggling with, I'd like to save them. And if they would turn to me and repent, I would. If there's no room for forgiveness for these wicked, filthy people at the top, then the gospel's a shame. If the blood of Jesus Christ cannot wash away their sin, then the gospel is a sham. We've been sold a bill of goods. But it is sufficient. So I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm not a, I'm not a prophet. I'm not going to pretend to be one. But I do know this, that no matter what happens, He's still the Good Shepherd. And by faith, I'm going to hang on to that thought of He's still my Shepherd. That can't change. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And I don't like saying this, but maybe it needs to be said. Maybe it needs to happen. Maybe it would be good if a faith in Christ in America began to get more expensive than what it is. It might not be a bad thing. Not necessarily what I wish for. Do I have a hope that somebody wins? Yeah, I'll admit it. Is it going to shake my faith if that man doesn't? God forbid. If that's the case, then my faith is pretty shallow. It's more in a man than it is in the shepherd. God forbid. Being content. Second point, <clears throat> I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not. It's a little different look at it. I don't think I'm stretching things too much. I don't think I'm stretching Scripture. But the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want the things of this world. I just want You read about that at the first of the chapter here in the book. I just want Him. I shall not want. My flesh, it's like everybody else's. It wants. Everything is out there. It's got a sinful nature. But God is the master 
doing heart surgery and turning things around. Heart transplants, if you will. Giving someone a new heart with new desires. Thank God for that. I shall not want. I shall not look to the world for fulfillment. The Lord is my shepherd. I don't want to look for the world. He's my shepherd. I shall not. I shall not want. I don't want that stuff. I just want Jesus. Just give me Jesus. The world pearls and tugs, and it looks to draw you away from Christ. Look what happened in the Garden of Eden. The sly serpent. We talked about it a little bit earlier. He came to her with a smooth tongue, convinced her that it was worthwhile to try and fulfill the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. And she took the bait. And we all died. They died and all their offspring died. Fell under the curse of death. She gave in to the lie that life needs to be all about you and your happiness. You hear that on uh, Ten Shekels and a Shirt, Paris Reed has message there. What's the end goal? The happiness of man. Yes, that's what you strive for. That's what you go after. What else is there? After all, you're going to die tomorrow. Go for the gusto. Give it all you got. You only have today. Who knows if you got tomorrow? That's what the devil convinces people of. Don't worry about what happens after you die. You've got to live it up today. And really, it's not even all about just hanging on so you make it to heaven. The question boils down to, again, remembering the Lord is my shepherd. Well, He made a way so that I could be His sheep. I, I owe Him. It's not a matter of just hanging on to make it to heaven. It's a matter of, I owe him. He deserves me. The world. I, no, God's the one that deserves me. I owe him my life. I owe him my will, my heart, my all, my everything. He bought me. He redeemed me. His wonderful blood that he shed. I'm a sheep that owes my life to my shepherd. I will gladly only want Him. And not try to make myself just happy. Oh, It will leave people empty. People that get convinced. Believe the devil's lie. It's all about you, your happiness. Many of them that have supposedly attained that. Still end up empty. I did a little search. I was curious with this thought. I did a little search. Famous people who have committed suicide. And, uh, oh man, 
It's heartbreaking. It's terrible. Recent ones. Here's another thing I, I, I thank the Lord for. I see, I, I read names of people that supposedly are famous. Oh, who's that? And I thought, praise the Lord, I don't even know who they are anymore. Praise God. I, I mean, I remember the ones back when I was young, you know, and uh, which you say, man, brother, that was a long time ago. Yeah, I know. And, uh, but uh, I, I don't even know who they are anymore, but I still read some of these stories. This pop singer, this over here, committed suicide after being cyberbullied because of a bad relationship with her ex-abusive boyfriend, whatever. I thought, and committed suicide over this. I remember some, some years ago when we lived in Wyoming, <clears throat> I was at work. They have the newspaper at work. And I was just thumbing through the newspaper, the Cheyenne, Wyoming newspaper there, and it talked about this had this picture of this guy, and the headline was, this comedian uh, committed suicide. And I'd never heard of the guy before. Uh, he was in his 40s. And some well-known comedian, entertainer, probably had a lot of money, probably had a lot. He'd committed suicide. And, I, and they showed this picture of him. And sometimes you can see this. Sometimes you can, not every time. But you looked at this guy's picture. He's... Got his head turned looking at the camera. Got this little smile on his face. And I don't know what it was. Maybe it was just the Lord just showing me something. But I looked at that guy's expression on his face. And it's almost as if you could just see the anguish and the pain in his expression. Here's a guy that's supposed to make everybody laugh. And deep inside, he's battling depression. And you could see it in that photograph. Committed suicide. Had it all. Had it all. Back in the 70s, when I was growing up, <clears throat> there was a rock band. I used to listen to some. They had some songs. Some of the songs I remember, there were a few lines that were there. One of them was, I just want to have my peace of mind. That was a, kind of a theme of some of the 70s music, which you could kind of understand. Coming out of the 60s, it was really wild. People coming out of that said, man, I just gave me some peace. This is crazy. Can I have some peace? Well, I can kind of understand why people would, would sing songs about that. They're looking in the wrong place, but you could see their longing. Another line of another song this band had was uh, towards the end of this song, he, he, he sang this line, I've got to keep on chasing that dream, though I may never find it. And isn't it interesting that that singer of that rock band about 13, 14 years ago ended his life, ended up suicide, searching for that dream. God of heaven, he never found it. He never found that peace of mind that he longed for. He had it all, all the money he could ever have. Still empty. 
he wanted. The Lord was not his shepherd. And so there was want. You see how that works? Now again, that's not to say to justify the the gospel that says, ask Jesus into your heart and God has a wonderful plan for your life and and He'll fulfill your heart and, and that kind of thing. Well, yeah, He will do those things. But that's a misguided gospel where that's the, the emphasis is put on that. Again, like we talked about earlier, we, we give our lives to Christ ultimately because He deserves them. We owe Him. Now, yes, praise the Lord. We get to be cleansed and washed and born again and have our names written in the book of life. Amen. Glory. Hallelujah. But that's not the sole reason. And He will give you a fulfillment in your heart like nothing else in the world can. Nothing else. It is true, yes. Your heart is shaped such that only God Himself can fill every corner, every bit. Yes, that's true. And He will do that. And the ultimate reward is dying and going to be with Him when it's all over. Finishing that race. <clears throat> that's very true. But that, that's not ultimately why we, we give our lives to Him. But at the same time, when we get to that place where we, can, we recognize, no, the Lord is my shepherd. Praise God. He changes your desires. I don't want these things anymore. I don't want to live a sinful life anymore. I don't want to be trapped by that stuff anymore. I want to, I want to just know Jesus. My want is for Him. Amen. Read a little story at the end of this chapter here. As an example for what I'm just talking about. In spite of having such a master and owner, the fact remains that some Christians are still not content with his control. I once owned a you whose conduct, conduct exactly typified this sort of person. She was one of the most attractive sheep that ever belonged to me. Her body was beautifully proportioned. She had a strong constitution and an excellent coat of wool. Her head was clean, alert, well set with bright eyes. She bore sturdy lambs with, that matured rapidly. But in spite of all these attractive attributes, attributes, she had one pronounced fault. She was restless, discontented, a fence crawler. So much so that I came to call her Mrs. Gadabout. This one you produced more problems for me than almost all the rest of the flock combined. No matter what field or pasture the sheep were in, she would search all along the fences or shoreline. We lived by the sea, looking for a loophole she could call through and start to feed on the other side. It was not that she lacked pasturage. My fields were my joy and delight. No sheep in the district had better grazing. With Mrs. Gadabout, it was an ingrained habit. She was simply never contented with things as they were. Often when she had forced her way through some such spot in a fence or found a way around the end of the wire at low tide on the beaches, she would end up feeding on bare, brown, burned-up pasturage of a most inferior sort. But she never learned her lesson and continued to fence crawl time after time. 
Now, it would have been bad enough if she was the only one who did this. It was a sufficient problem to her and find her back. Uh, a problem to find her and bring her back. But the further point was that she taught her lambs the same tricks. They simply followed her example and soon were as skilled at escaping as their mother. Even worse, however, was the example she set the other sheep. In a short time, she began to lead others through the same holes and over the same dangerous paths down the sea. By putting up with her perverseness for a summer, I finally came to the conclusion that I have to save the rest of the flock from becoming unsettled. She would have to go. I could not allow one obstinate, discontented you to ruin the whole ranch operation. It was a difficult decision to make, for I loved her in the same way I loved the rest. Her strength and beauty and alertness were a delight to the eye. But he had to do away with her, and he did. One morning, I took the killing knife in hand and butchered her. Her career of fence crawling was cut short. It was the only solution to the dilemma. She was a sheep who, in spite of all that I had done to give her the very best care, still wanted something else. She still had want. She was not content again with the shepherd being her shepherd. I want some of this as well as my shepherd. And God won't have it that way. Now, when you start your journey with your Savior from day one, He sees where you're at. He sees where I'm at. He sees where I'm at right now. And He knows already, I've got things in my life that I need to let go of. Some things, I don't even know what they are. He hasn't shown, showed them to me yet. It's been the same thing with you. And that's the path that He'll lead you on. A path that takes you closer to Himself and further away from the world. He'll never, lead, he'll never take you down a path that will lead you closer to the world. He'll never lead you on a path that will take you closer to dead religion. He'll take you on a path that will lead you closer to Himself. You can trust Him to do that. And He knows how to do that. He's the Good Shepherd. He knows exactly how to do that. That's where he'll lead you, closer to himself. Okay? But for someone that absolutely insists and insists and insists on pushing against the shepherd's guiding hand, his crook, sometimes it gets pretty costly. Man, it's not worth it. Don't do it. It's not worth it. It's situations like this that you understand the heart sometimes behind church discipline. Of some of the hardest decisions I ever made. Man, that was not fun. Two people we we did that with in, in Wyoming. But there's a testimony for the Lord that has to be preserved. And you can give people grace if you see that they're growing in grace. 
But if they buck and push and push and push and push, and you begin to see them beginning to have an influence on other people that are dragging them away from Christ. A shepherd, a pastor, elders, they have to do something. They have to. It's not fun. It's not an enjoyable part of church life. But it's got to happen. You see why? Mrs. Gadabout was having an influence on the flock. He had to do something. My dad, I told you about his cows. And he'd get a crazy cow. He called them crazy cows. Just fly off the handle. Out of control. He'd put up with them for a little bit. Finally said, nope, you're done. You're going to get put in the freezer. And she would. Just to save the peace of his herd. That's hard. <clears throat> but the question is, as we, as we close here, where's my heart? Are there things that I just, just would like to still want that's over here in the world? Or can I say with a clear conscience, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. God, all I want is You. You're all that matters anyway. I thank You that You're my shepherd. I shall not want. Um, Again, I just, my encouragement is, is let's keep an honest, open heart with the Lord and let him have free reign let him search our hearts freely truly to be able to say to him Lord here here I am it may be kind of scary but search my heart he search my heart I let you shine your light in there show me what's there that even the things I I don't want to see but I need to see I just want to know you more deeply. And I realize you've done everything to open the door. And it's a matter of you changing me. I'm not going to change you. I need you to change me. That we could have hearts like that. That truly, from deep down inside, can say, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Okay, I hope this ministered to you. It has to me. Praise the Lord.